Hi, this is John Mulder, Executive Director of the Trillium Institute, along with Jason Beckrow, welcoming you to Palliative Matters. We are palliative doctors who treat patients and families who are dealing with difficult medical circumstances. We'd like to share what we have learned along this journey. How are you doing today, Jay? I'm doing really well, John. How are you today? I'm doing great. You know, I was thinking today, there was a resident that I was interacting with, and we were kind of chatting about a patient circumstance. And this resident, who is about two years into training, year and a half, made this statement to me, says, well, in my experience, and for the moment I thought, what kind of experience does he have? He, you know, he's, <laughs> he's got his MD, he's got a year and a half of resident experience, but I've got, you know, I graduated from medical school 41 years ago. I think I've got a little bit more experience than he does. And I got a little indignant with myself later, thinking, you know, that, that's a little bit arrogant, and I didn't say that to him. But I was just contemplating what my experiences have been and what I've learned in the process of that. And for the most part, they've been very humbling experiences. When I learn from patients, and I learn from residents, and I learn from medical students, and I learn from non-medical people how to better treat patients. And sometimes it's really self-reflective about what I need to be doing for myself, for my family, for, you know, for my team. And it was just a moment of reflection on what do we learn from, from our patients that make us better people and better doctors. And I was just wondering, you know, is that something that you've ever thought about or that you've had experiences with yourself? Oh, absolutely. On a quite frequent basis. And maybe, John, that's why, you know, we're such good buds is because we, I think we resonate with that. I, I think most of us in the field do as well, because every patient is a new learning experience. And the gifts, you know, we, we, we hope to take our learned experience, the, the science of medicine, the art of medicine, transfer those gifts of knowledge and understanding to the benefit of our patients. If we listen, take the time to really hear our patients, oftentimes they're teaching us as much as we're teaching them. And some great gifts, some, some true wisdom in that. I remember some years ago, I had a patient that I was asked around on by one of my partners. The situation was pretty straightforward. This was a patient who had been diagnosed with breast cancer and the day before she had surgery. And the results, even from the surgery they could tell, were not as good as they had hoped for. They found lymph nodes that they were certain were positive and she now had metastatic disease. So he saw her on Friday and since I was covering on the weekend, he asked if I would be willing to see her over the weekend just to touch base with her. Now, my experience with patients like this was, you know, I, I sort of knew what to expect, right? She'll have been just two days post-surgery, so she's going to be hurting physically. The information was not as she would have expected. And so I think emotionally and maybe even spiritually, this was going to be really challenging. So in my mind, I had an idea of what I was going to be walking into. So when I was up on the hospital floor that day and I identified the room and I stuck my head in the room and I saw this, uh, this young woman sitting on the edge of the bed, pleasant looking, she looked comfortable, she almost radiated, uh, reading a book and she looked up at me and smiled and says, hi. 
my initial response was, hi, I'm sorry, I must have the wrong room. Mm-hmm. And she said, who are you looking for? I mentioned her name. She says, well, that's me. I'll never forget the day. It was in 1991. And it was the moment in which Hurricane Andrew was devastating South Florida, one of the only Category 5 hurricanes to ever make landfall in the United States. And it devastated the town of Homewood, Florida. And that was up on the TV screen in the background. And I remember that because when she said, that's me, I said, oh, I got to tell you, I said, I was not expecting you to be this comfortable, radiant, given what's been going on over the last 48 hours. And then she glanced up at the TV screen and saw, you know, they were showing the hurricane. And she said, you know, the hurricane up there has this eye. And in the middle of that storm is perfect peace. It's perfectly calm. Storms raging around it. And you know what? I feel like I am in the eye of a miracle. No, I didn't want this diagnosis. I didn't want what happened. But what I have seen in the last 48 hours has just really kind of blown my mind. I've seen reactions from my family, from friends, from neighbors, from my church family that I had never expected to see before. The level of compassion, the level of coming together, my kids beginning to not question their faith, but hang on to their faith. And I just got to think, wow, if God is using me in that way, this is a miracle. And how blessed am I to be part of that? And I know that you've had a similar experience with with patients of yours who have, have looked at their circumstance in a way that we didn't expect, that humbled us, and that we learned from. Uh, yes, I do. And, and again, I, I realize now over the course of my career, of our careers, as profound as that story is, you know you've seen that profound story play out time and time again. Uh, for me, it started, this is now over 20 years ago when I was in my residency and a gentleman in his uh, mid, early to mid-60s was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It was at a time when I was contemplating what to do after residency and I was considering medical oncology and but I wasn't real sure because boy, that can be really tough. And this gentleman, his name was Wayne. And I know that because he gave me a gift, which is still on my office wall today. And that gift was a poem. This is a gentleman who at a time when he's contemplating retirement and celebrating the fruits of his life, raising his family, his career, He's diagnosed now with a terminal illness, and, and he's aware that his prognosis is poor. This is metastatic pancreatic cancer, and we're looking at months and not years. And he has got every right in the world to be upset, angry. So he hands me this poem. It's entitled, Why Me? And of course, it makes perfect sense. But as I start reading it, I realize he's not asking, why have I been treated so poorly? He's asking, why have I been given this great gift? To use your words, John, why have I been able to see inside the eye of a miracle? And that just had profound effect on me. I was in my 20s at the time trying to contemplate what I wanted to do with my life. And if I can meet a human being who's facing their mortality, 
and to see gifts and miracles and then to share and spread that with others. Wow, that was pretty profound. Uh, sign me up. I learned a lot that day. And because of that experience, I think we're now in tune to look for those. And they happen pretty routinely. And two things I find. One, oftentimes, if you look for those types of stories or feelings, many patients want to find them too. And they are uh, quick to share and, and to find that sense of peace. And for those circumstances that are maybe most highly charged, where it seems impossible that'll become achieved, if you know that it's possible and you demonstrate your compassion, your understanding, your allyship, your willingness to build rapport with your patients, oftentimes you can get there too. And that's part of the wisdom we gain throughout our careers. And again, are we the teacher? Or are we the student? And are wow. we both? Well, and is that true for everyone? I think certainly we're both. Uh, I just have a couple of quick vignettes, both from hospitalized yeah. circumstances. One, I had a patient who I was asked to see, so I, I didn't know the patient or the family. A young woman, uh, Hispanic, non-English speaking, who was diagnosed with metastatic stomach cancer, had been progressing, was not responding to treatment. And so we were asked to have the conversation about transitioning her into an end-of-life plan. So we had a translator. I met with a translator outside the room, which I always try to do to give them an idea of the essence of what I was trying to accomplish with this conversation. Translators are, by, you know, by design, they translate exactly what you say, word for word, to the patient. And the response then is word to word back what the patient has said. So it, it's, it's helpful for me to make sure they understand what I'm trying to get at. What I found, and, and I, I know this to be a fact uh, with a lot of uh, language barriers, is that when we encounter someone with a language barrier, even if we have a translator, we tend to be much more concrete, much less existential, and a lot of the emotional content that is important in our language doesn't translate. So if they can understand that ahead of time, maybe they can help me with the translation part of it. So I went in, sat down, and began the conversation. And it was really clear within the first five minutes or so, I was not getting through. These glassy looks, no engagement, no emotion was demonstrated. I was asking the questions, they were answering it in simple one and two word phrases. And I just said, we're just not getting anywhere. I'm, I'm scratching my head. And I had a medical student with me. The medical student had been with me most of the month, third year student, so relatively new into the clinical realm. And as I paused, I felt her hand on my shoulder, and I turned around, she says, may I? And I said, sure. I relinquished the chair to her. She sat down, leaned forward, grabbed this woman's hand, and in fluent Spanish began this conversation. Now, I didn't know that the student spoke Spanish, but I could see within moments, their eyes locked. I started seeing tears, not only from the patient and my student, everybody else in the room, well, except me, because I had no idea what was going on there. After about 10 minutes of this, I, I, I realized, you know, I'm responsible for this, whatever's going on here. You know, this is my student, my patient. I, I have some, there's some liability here. And I leaned over to the translator and I said, what's going on? And he said to me, shh, shh, 
this is really good. And so, so I backed <laughs> off and I let the, I let it, uh, I let the student finish up, wrap it up, and we walked out. And you know what? What I hadn't appreciated is, uh, is certainly being able to speak to someone where they are. And in this case, where they were was a language other than mine that I had no way of being able to translate within my bounds of understanding or knowledge. And even the translator trying to translate what I was trying to say couldn't do it. But someone else who had their language, their verbiage, and was able to lock in at an emotional level with that, it sealed the deal for them. And it was a really wonderful outcome for the patient. And I learned a lot. I was, I was, I was humbled that. Not all language barriers are, are due to uh, my not understanding someone else's native language. I had a, another circumstance in which I leveraged that understanding with a patient. And I uh, was asked to see this, uh, this uh, gentleman, young man, who had uh, been recently diagnosed with uh, lung cancer, uh, bone metastases, a lot of pain related to that. I, I was warned before I went into the room said, this guy, he's not going to talk to you. He feels he's tough. He is, doesn't need any help. We can see he's hurting, won't admit it, won't acknowledge it, won't talk about the disease. So just be prepared when you go in the room. I said, okay. So if you can imagine a kind of a stereotypic, large, kind of a biker dude kind of guy, he was, he was big. He was probably 6'4", six, 6'5", six, close to 300 pounds. Very, very burly. Um, a little unkempt. Big shaggy beard. Uh, you know, heavily tattooed body. Gruff-looking appearance. And I came in, and I sat down. He looked at me for a moment, and I said, um, Hi, I'm Dr. Mulder, here to help you with your pain. And he took a look at me, and he turned his head to the other side of the bed. He didn't say anything. And what I said then, I said, wow, this really sucks. What a shitty thing to have happen to you. And after a moment, he turned back to me with tears now in his eyes. Up to that point, turns out, people have been coming in and talking at a different level with him. They've been talking medical to him um, and not really hitting him at a point where they could make him understand that they knew or had a sense as to the challenges that he was going through. And just by changing my language just a little bit into, into a vernacular that would resonate with him, it just opened up doors. And I relate that all the way back to my student who spoke to her patient in a language that the patient could understand and what breakthrough that caused. Those are both very remarkable in the concept of connection, of human connection. Your first patient, it was a language barrier, the, uh, the understanding of the native language, which, again, ways that can be uh, breached, and your student helped you there. Uh, the other was more of a, um, maybe a barrier to connection, barrier to communication uh, based on uh, power dynamic, or you're the doctor, he's the patient, maybe he felt victimized and, and whatnot. And for both of the patients, you were able to connect. The first patient, your student, just simply 
knowing the patient's thing. I'm curious, John, did your students speak Spanish in their home or was it a language that they had learned uh, throughout their lives? Do you know? Do you recall? It was the latter. She, she was not native Hispanic. Okay. Have you ever been to a foreign country? Your knowledge of the language can be very, very poor, but just demonstrating a desire to understand it and to speak. A lot of places in the world we go, English will get you through the front door, help you order your lunch, get you to the right gate at the airport. But simply demonstrating that you're trying to learn the language and you ever see someone smile. When I, when I speak in a foreign language, I imagine what my accent sounds like to them. And I'm sure it sounds pretty funny. Our vantage point is the default, the center point. Mm -hmm. And when you and your student said to that patient that I value your language, and you let your students interact with the patient. So when your student was speaking to the patient and she heard her native language and a sense of validation of having value and a connection was made there. And in your, the second patient you mentioned, kind of a very tough armor, if you will, kind of a, a tough exterior designed to be unpenetrable and you simply demonstrating some empathy demonstrating your willingness to to listen not to tell him why he's wrong and you're right doing those things really establishes a a foundation of trust and i've been thinking a lot about this in the concept of by simply demonstrating that empathy with your patient and giving them the opportunity to kind of explain where they were, give them that power back when so much has been taken from them. Again, that builds a sense of trust, human connection. And I think one of the things we've really learned from our patients, the power of human connection, and what we learn from our patients and what we try to share with our patients is, again, language is beautiful. We speak doctor language, we speak medical jargon and we look to translate. And we try to do that in a way that demonstrates empathy and a desire to form human connection and allyship. And once that's established, our patients show us who they are, and that can be very beautiful. And again, it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship, or at least it can be. Again, we are charged professionally to give our knowledge to our patients and hopefully in such a way that improves the quality of their life and reduces their suffering. But again, we're very fortunate in the sense that oftentimes what we give is gifted back to us in a way that can, can help us in our own lives. And when we experience that, it's just so, so meaningful. And again, John, to be engaged in thought with you and, and like-minded colleagues, uh, it's just a wonderful gift. I think that the thing that I learn the most in these types of patient relationships always revolves around humility. It's grace. It's grace that's given to us mm -hmm. and the humility which is important to us to understand that even though we might be doctors, we don't know it all. And more importantly, what is important to patients and the things that they teach us go so far beyond disease or response to disease. And I want to just close with lyrics to a song. And this is, is self-serving because it's a song that I wrote. 
and it's not one that is available anywhere. So listeners, don't go looking for it. You won't find it yet. But it's a beautiful song. Uh, I can say that because I'm not the only one that participated in the writing of it. But what's most important is the subject matter. This was written for and in honor of a friend of ours, a fellow songwriter who also happens to be a very gifted artist. He's a painter who is legally blind. He has macular degeneration that has progressed over the last five, six years to the point where he is legally blind. And, and yet his spirit is indomitable and it's just is really inspiring such that we wrote this song for him. And I just want to share some of the lyrics. Hopeless night, sight so dim. Where's the light? I remember when. The sun would fall on color blue, paint the sky with my love for you. A different world revealed to me. It took the darkness for me to see. Unexpected beauty, so clear to me now. How did I miss this? Unexpected holiness, showing me how to see. Hopeful dawn, sky so clear. I can feel your presence here. Joyful now, moments spent. I close my eyes in sweet content. Unexpected beauty, so clear to me now. How did I miss this? Unexpected holiness, showing me how to see. I like to think that if I were faced with something like that, my sense is removed, my sight is, is, is going, that I could maintain the attitude that he has of just one of hope and joy and expectation of wonderful things to happen and using this now deficit to see things more clearly in other domains and in other dimensions. The spirit was just, it was just wonderful. And, and we tried to capture that in this song. And that's what I try to learn from our patients as well. Beautiful uh, lyrics there, John, the concept from hopelessness to hopeful, from unseen to seen, as you've expressed so many times, just very beautiful. And sounds like, uh, Truly the eye of a miracle there. Thank yeah. you, John. Uh, once again, great spending some time with you here, Jay. Thank you for listening today to another episode of Palliative Matters, and we look forward to chatting with you again. Have a wonderful day.